Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. Now, I had no music right there, people, because I usually have music, but as you know, I've been going to the studio clothes. I've been telling you that today. And so I had the music on my phone, but my guest today was nice enough to let me come to his studio, which is a real studio, not my makeshift studio in my kitchen with my zoom coming off my computer which gave great sound but this is a real studio and uh and it's good it's 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 it was only 12 miles away from me but of course i came up during rush hour and people in la the 101 i swear to god it wasn't as bad for me coming up but going back the other way it's just awful so anyway we have a great guest today uh, a gentleman who uh is uh i guess you could say he's a legend it's greg hudson how you doing greg i'm doing good how you doing good good man so so uh you're sitting here and i, I wore the king's shirt especially for you well thanks this i is, appreciate that this is my uh my bootleg king shirt because i went to uh the 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 stadium i went to the champion not the championship the uh, parade yeah. two years ago mm -hmm. and i saw this guy was selling it for like six bucks and it spelled something wrong but you had to do that so <laughs> yeah because you sit there and you, you don't want to spend like 35 bucks for a shirt Unless it's a really good shirt. Now you're not. I saw a picture of you on Facebook. You, I think you had the yellow jersey. Were you sporting a yellow? Uh, the purple and yellow. Yeah. Purple, yeah. 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 I've, I've got at least a half dozen Kings jerseys. So now, now you're. You've always been into music. Have you always been into hockey? I got into hockey when I was about ten. Okay. So. So, so now, as a kid, now when did you become interested in guitar? And and you know, because it's. I'm guessing you're around my age. You might be a little bit younger and. Or older. I don't know, I think we're probably older. <laughs> 54. Okay, I'm 52, so we're about okay. the same. So now, now, when did you become into music, and what got you into music? Was your, your, was your family musical, or? My dad was always into music. He, he was like a record collector, and uh, he would always take me record shopping, so I kind of natural to go tag along and buy records. He was into mostly folk and uh, classical opera show tunes, that kind of stuff, but... Uh, got me into the love of record collecting and just started listening to music top 40 radio when i was a kid am radio you know it's amazing because uh, i was the same way i love getting albums and it's just how it's changed like how albums were so great like i still remember when i was a kid i gave my buddy uh Elvis costello armed forces for christmas and it came right. with that little 33 inside that was him live from hollywood high that's right and when i moved out here i lived when i first lived i lived like three blocks from hollywood high and i was like holy crap you know, it's just weird to sit there, and all came from a memory of an album. Yeah, there was, there. Yeah, I used to, you know, of course the the graphics were big, and the uh, there was always the liner notes, and I used to read all of them. I knew who recorded, who had engineers, what studios. Even before I was a musician or anything, I was really into just reading and figuring you, out what the hell that was. Now you love the music. So <clears throat> when did you decide to start playing an instrument, and what made you start playing an instrument? Well, at age when your parents say, to be a well-rounded human being, you should learn an instrument. What do you want to play? I'm like, I don't know. So I'm listening to the radio, and Up Around the Bend by Credence comes on, and I go, okay, that intro, what's that, what's that noise right there? Well, that's the guitar, son. Okay, I want to play that guitar. So I want to play that, play that instrument. So I, uh, uh, they started giving me lessons and took them for a while. And then uh, after maybe six, seven months, I lost interest because I wanted to play Little League. See, that's funny. It's When you're a kid, it's like that. It's like, I, I tried, I took guitar lab. I took a guitar lesson, but I just sucked. So I was, I love sports, but I was just awful. So I, I didn't start playing. But for you, so you lost interest, you love baseball. So what brought you back to guitar? Well, I sucked at baseball. Okay. <laughs> I only lasted a couple of years. Every once in a while, I'd pick it up and strum a few chords. I learned enough to, you know, play some open chords. And uh, just in high school, everybody started picking up guitars again, you know, my friends started playing, so I took the guitar from underneath my bed and uh, started playing it again and took some more lessons and stuck with it. So I, I started really when I was 16, probably probably took lessons at age 10, 11, around then. And then. So you start playing. Now, at what point do you, do you <clears throat> decide this is going to be your life work? Oh, that's... Let me think. I guess maybe uh, probably when the Circle Jerks formed. I mean, I met Steve McDonald, who we we started Red Cross in high school at a Photoshop class, and he had a he had a peachy folder with the with the a flyer on it for the bags. And I'm like, "Hey, you into punk rock?" And he kind of looked at me like I was going to give him shit. And I'm like, 
Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, me too. So we started talking. We started a band, uh, you know, in high school. But uh, probably around 1980 when I just decided that, uh, you know, playing, playing gigs is what I really wanted to do. I wanted to be a musician. Now, what got you into punk rock? Because punk rock wasn't everywhere back then. I mean, it's like, you know, back in that, you know, at that time, people were listening to Kansas Sticks. I mean, punk rock, I mean, in my area, punk rock really didn't hit. What sat there? Was it because it was the California scene? Or what gravitated you towards the music? Uh, it was, I always wanted the heaviest guitar-laden music I could find. And, you know, that, at the time, it was like, you know, Judas Priest and early metal stuff like that. And uh, I was really into Queen. But uh, I don't know, I heard the Ramones and it was just something about that that was just so raw and, and accessible that I started exploring some of the other stuff. And then I saw like uh, some stuff on TV. Leon Russell had this TV show and would, would play cool bands. And not Leon Russell, Leon Redbone. It was Leon Redbone. He would play videos and they showed The Clash playing at some gig in... In England, I'm like, people were pogoing, and it was crazy. And I'm uh, like, this is really cool. So I started getting into the, into the punk rock thing. So then you started, you started right, is that this music you decided you wanted to play? At that point, you said, okay, I'm going to play punk. And now, now, how did you go about that? Because once again, getting gigs and stuff, was, it, was the scene starting to grow here, or was there not much of a scene? There was a scene. The first punk gig I went to was in 1978, and it was the Dickies in Middle Class. And... Uh, I was probably I was seventeen, I guess, at the time. Yeah, I was seventeen. I went and saw them, and then the first band was the middle class, and they were kids my age. And I'm like, okay, this I could do this. This could be me up there. And it really, really, you know, hit home where, where you didn't have to be a virtuoso. You didn't have to be Eddie Van Halen, because back then it was like you know everybody was a guitar hero, and you had to play a million notes and spit fire and all that kind of shit then i saw punk rock and it was like okay this this is real and it's uh accessible and and uh looks like something i could do now now it was you, encouraging see that's cool now when you got the uh when you got the band your first band together do you remember your do you remember your first gig i mean because that's something that you know i did used to do stand-up comedy and you always remember yeah. your first time on stage do you remember your first gig and how did it go and where was it our first gig was at a at a park called Pollywog Park in Manhattan Beach. And uh, we found out that Black Flag lived somewhere in our area. I grew up in Hawthorne. They were from Hermosa Beach. So we tracked down where they were, befriended them. It's like, hey, we're young kids. We need, can you help us out with gigs and blah, blah, blah. And so they were doing this. Uh, they, they conned the city into letting them play at this park on a Sunday afternoon. So uh, that was our first gig. And... We went off on okay, uh, off okay. It was like, you know, people picnicking and a few punks here and there. But when Black Flag came on and, you know, full volume and just fucking nuts, uh, it ended up being kind of a mini riot. People were throwing chicken and legs at them and <laughs> beers and, you know, beer bottles, beer cans. And it ended up getting shut down. So that was, that was our first gig. And that was sometime in 1979. I have the flyer. Somewhere you still the flyer? Yeah, it's it's. I have it framed. I'm pointing to my house. Okay. Inside my house, I'll show it to you after. That's so cool because yeah. you know because I mean you and, might, a review, and a review of the concert. And, from, and they review. No, who, where did it get reviewed? A, a paper? Yeah, the local paper in uh, Hermosa. And what they say? Did they say anything about you guys? Yeah, we were called the tourists back then. Okay. Be then we found out there was a band in England called the Tourists, so we changed the Red Cross. So now, now Red Cross starts. Now, do you start getting a lot of work with Red Cross? Are you playing gigs, or, or how did that build up? Yeah, we were one of the first bands that really had young, young kids in it. So we, we the easiest, it was kind of an easy selling point. Hey, we're a bunch of kids. Can you help us out? And uh, a lot of bands would let us open up for them. You know, we played a lot with Black Flag because we were from the same area, and uh, we played with you know, the Germs and Bags and Alley Cats, some of those bands like that. Now, who's writing the music? Uh, we all were the just, band, yeah, yeah. We were just writing our own stuff. We had a few covers, but mostly originals. And so you're doing this now. Now, what happened to Red Cross? Uh, what happened is uh, our drummer quit. Uh, who Ron Reyes, who ended up being the second singer of Black Flag. This is very incestuous South Bay punk scene. 
So uh, a friend of mine said, I, I know this drummer, he, he's my brother, and he's really good. It was Lucky, Lucky Lair. And his brother Chet, I was friends with, who's punk rock scene. He goes, oh, my brother just moved back down here. He was going to college in Santa Cruz, blah, blah, blah. So uh, we got him in Red Cross, and, and you know, I didn't be, find out until I literally, like about eight months ago, why... They, the band freaked out and didn't want him in the band. They thought he was too good of a musician and they couldn't keep up with him. So he comes in and starts blazing his crazy <laughs> drums and they got intimidated. You know, our bass player was 12 at the time, you know. Like, here's this fucking 20-year-old kid who's fucking jazz trained. And so they got intimidated and made excuses why they didn't want to practice. And I just got fed up with it, so I quit the band. So you, you just found that out eight months ago? Yeah. Now, now, how did that come? I mean, it's, that's a long ass time. How did yeah. that come up? I mean, what? Well, <laughs> the, the reason they I mean that their excuse was like, "Yeah, I'm sick. I don't want to play music anymore. Uh, I'm not really sure I want to be in a band." He wears a Devo bit button, and that's not cool. I don't know. I mean, it was all kinds of excuses why they didn't like the guy. So, so then you guys decide to form the Circle Jerks. Right. Now, now how'd you come up with the name? Well, what's the story behind the name? Because we, we all know the, the, the term circle jerk, but I mean, especially back then, people were probably like, you know, were shocked with how, who, how, who came up with the name? Uh, we were looking for a name. couldn't figure out what to call ourselves. Well, me and Keith were at Raymond Pettibone's house. Uh, the artist did all the black flag flyers and stuff. And, and at his parents' house, they had an American slang dictionary from the 60s. And we just started going through it and, see, and seeing what we could come up with something. And we saw the term circle jerk, which we never heard of. Right. And we go, this is hilarious. We got our name, our band this. And that's how it, how it came about. Now, how did people first react to that? Because, well, first of all, a lot of people probably don't even, didn't even know what circle jerk was. So they probably right. were just thinking... Oh, they hang, uh, you know, They probably didn't understand. A bunch but, of jerks hanging out. Yeah. Oh, 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 yeah. And then, you know, it was shocking to some people. Our bass player at the time didn't want to tell his parents the name of the band. So he was embarrassed. So uh, it so, ended up okay. So it came out. So now, now how, how does the, are people starting to react to your music? Because, you know, now punk's getting bigger. Right. So the, oh, the, the LA scene, scene was getting really huge about 1980. Uh, a lot of the more of the suburban kids were coming out from Orange County and out in the valleys. So the gig started, you know, uh, growing in size from maybe a couple hundred people at the most to 500. And then it just multiplied. It just kind of, you know, by 1982, you know, the, the local bands were drawing 1,200, 1,500 people at headlining shows now, like what, every week. What what venues were you playing at? I mean, were they were they... Bars were they like the park or I mean, what? What was the scene back then in L.A.? Uh, well, there weren't many clubs that would book punk. There was a Starwood and Hong Kong Cafe and a couple of underground hall gigs here and there. Those were the main clubs back then in 1980. So, uh, yeah, in around 1980, the the Starwood started booking a Tuesday night punk night, and it started out selling all the the rock, you know, bands. And all the other styles of music, so they they were kind of the trailblazers and doing that a weekly punk show, and it it got so huge there would be, you know, seven hundred people inside and a thousand people outside just partying in the parking lot. It was huge, and then they did started doing two nights a week, and then they had a, you know, the promoters had to go in and start renting halls. That now did you guys decide to take anything on the road, or what was your what was your path to the circle? What was your goal actually with the circle jerks when you got into it? Because you guys were so young to get well, out of the garage. That's I mean yeah. So that was just yeah. you wanted to play live, and was because yeah. I mean, we're, we're at that young age. You know we're young. We don't we don't really have goals. Yeah, I mean, you know, some like, people have goals. Like okay, I, we want we want to play some club gigs. Yeah, then we want to go to San Francisco or San Diego, and then it's like well you know record a record, and then we want to go across the country and tour. So. Uh, uh, 1981, we made it out to the East Coast after the uh, Circle Jerks Group Sex album came out. We did like 10 shows on the East Coast. And then 82, we, when our second album came out, we did a full U.S., like, I don't know, three or four weeks U.S., which was quite uh, challenging at the time. Were you guys in a van? What were you getting around in? In a van, yeah. Okay. So it wasn't like a big money tour. It wasn't like, oh, take this, this. It was you guys driving and you had your gigs. What kind of places were you playing at when you go we to were, different cities? We were playing anywhere from nice, you know, 
clubs that could have been discos during, you know, and I think I have a night of the week to, to uh, like really dingy uh, basement bar types places like in Baltimore or, you know, uh, and there was this one place in North Carolina that was a house that was converted into a club called the Milestone. And like we looked at the roster of people playing there. It was like what, the Go-Go's came through there. Like everybody, if you weren't, a metal band or rock band or or anything else everybody went through these this circuit of clubs and they were very they were small they were all local promoters hardly any proper venues but uh you know some of the major cities there was good places boston new york but you know other other spots it was just no is there crazy. was there was there a camaraderie amongst the bands or was it like you know <clears throat> was there because once again, you're young. You're all trying to make a mark. Was did, did right. a lot of the bands get along together? Man, I know like Black Flag, Black Flag, and all because you guys were, you know, the South Bay. That, that's right. understandable. But once you get out there and started meeting other bands who, from different areas too, what was what was the relationships like between all you guys? <clears throat> oh, it, it was tight because there weren't, you know, there was only a handful of bands in every city you went to. So, you know, you became friends and started networking. Obviously, there was no internet. Back then, there was, you know, Xerox fanzines that, you know, if you were lucky, had distribution, you get it out, outside of your city. And there was a couple of major ones that started writing about, you know, you know Circle Jerks. So, kind of got some nationwide press early now, on. Now, you were getting a big following. I mean, where people were digging you. I mean, what's that like right. to be young? I mean, you start from square one. You know, you start playing at a park where they're throwing chicken wings and beer. <laughs> and then you yeah. start getting a following. That must be a great feeling. Yeah, it was, but but like, you know there there was no there was no goal. It was just to go out and do it and have fun and see what happens. But trying thinking about even thinking about making a living was kind of out of the question. It was just unheard of. It was punk rock making money. This is ridiculous. No fucking way. Right now, now as you were playing, did you feel like you were growing as a musician at all? Because you know in the beginning, I mean, you you said you know you're just guys. You were, you were getting unlucky. Was Chaz train, so you guys right. like, oh fuck him. Right. Did you did you feel as you were as you guys were playing more shows, were you getting tighter as a band, and were you did you feel like your skills were growing, where you started doing more things on stage? Sure, but we we wanted to keep it simple, and we wanted to keep it true to what we thought our version of punk rock was. And getting back to the the rivalry thing, I think the only the only rivalry that anybody had wasn't even a rivalry; it was uh, to strive to not sound like your friend's band okay so you know if you listen to the early stuff the adolescents don't sound like the germs and they don't sound like black flag and they don't sound like the clash everybody wanted to have a distinct identity which was you know that was that was everybody's main goal but uh yeah so you but so yeah so that but so you guys created your own sound everyone cultivated their own sound and that was the 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 idea about it where in other types of music when there's one good sound everybody follows it because they go hey well you know what this guy's playing this, so I'm going to play just like them. So then exactly. we'll get a record deal, and we'll be just like them. Our right, well, there were sell. no record deals. Right. It was all, you know, right. There was no record deals. Nobody was getting signed to major label record deals. So now what happened to the Circle Jerks? Uh, we went on for for 10 years, like putting out records every couple of years. And did you guys, did, did you guys <clears> feel like you were growing... Growing as a band, just like just getting, were you starting to change any of your music like stylings? Because a you, little bit, yeah, maturing. yeah, yeah, we did. We matured a little bit, changed up stuff a little bit, and uh, you know, around 1985 is is kind of a was a breaking point where uh, that's when the whole speed metal thing came in, and a lot of the metal kids started listening to punk rock because when speed metal came in, it was kind of a blend of punk and metal, and we started getting those that following. And then uh, a lot of the original bands got discouraged. Original LA bands got discouraged and either changed their sound completely or just quit playing punk rock and broke up and went off and did other stuff. Grew their hair long, became glam, or went to the metal route. But we kind of just, we just, we rode all the wave because we believed in what we were doing. At that time, we started, when you started hearing bands like Metallica and stuff, it's like, well, that sounds, you know, a lot like that punk rock stuff we were doing. And you kind of start thinking that, uh, you know, if if we had the opportunity, if, if this music had the opportunity to get some mass, you know, airplay here and there, or getting some props, why why wouldn't the the people like it? So uh, 
it, it, but but during that time also it the, the LA scene was dying off because of the a lot of the the growth of the punk rock spawned a bunch of punk rock quote unquote gangs. So there's a lot of violence and people got disillusioned with the whole punk rock thing and just stopped going to shows. It was too dangerous. So it, it killed itself. I mean, doesn't that suck for you when you when you're <clears throat> when you guys are the, you guys performing and all of a sudden you're going, oh, holy crap! You know these crowds were huge and now you know a few people are just getting out of control and then as like anything, once one event happens. Then everything is like, oh, right. oh, this, and and this is before social media. I can imagine now, but I mean, was there was there? Did you see a lot of violence at your shows? Yeah, like you know, starting around eighty four, maybe not till eighty five, really, and then it just really started. You know, venues were not booking punk anymore. It was, it was a liability. It was wasn't everybody having a good time. It was a bunch of meatheads that wanted to come in and uh, and use it for an excuse to beat each other up with some music in the background. That sucks. I mean, I, I mean, it's one of those things you sit there and go, geez, you know, it's like, I mean, we're both old hockey fans and right. it was great when there was a meathead who were the enforcers. You know I mean? Sure. You, you have your Gretzky thing right here mm-hmm. and you know, when Gretzky played, no one touched him because you know if you no. did, you'd get your ass kicked. But that's different. That's their job. For, for the music, <laughs> it sucks because you guys are just trying to play your music and a bunch of idiots come out and ruin it for everybody. Yeah, they not really ruin it. For, they ruin it for themselves. They don't even realize it. So now, yeah. now, how did you get involved with Bad Religion? Uh, I became friends with those guys probably around 1982, and everybody used to hang out at this hot dog stand called Okie Dogs. I know Okie Dog. They, yeah. they, you would go there late, and they would wrap everything in a, in a, uh, in a tortilla. Yeah. And uh, so they came up and go, hey, we have this, here's our demo, check it out, and they gave me a cassette of like one of their demos. I just became friends with the guys, and then you know years later, I ended up in the band. That's a short story. <laughs> no, I mean, no, I mean, but what's what's the? I mean, years later, I mean, did you know this band would would last for this long? Just, I mean, you guys have a lot of acclaim. I mean, you've traveled the world. I mean, did right. you think when you met those guys at the Okie Dog, which people, if you don't know, when you drive by the Okie Dog, the food's good, but when you drive by, it's it's sort of it's sort of scary looking. It's right. Just right in the thing. But did you did you ever think that you know this would, you know become such a long history of these guys because they had a cassette that was it yeah and then you know they put out a record an ep a record and a second album which which failed and the band was pretty much killed itself after they released the into the unknown album and they didn't play for a couple years so it just was uh uh when the band got resurrected it was everybody's hobby so that was around 1984 is when i guess i joined the band and uh they started playing again, playing punk rock style. But uh, like I said, it was really, it was only a couple of gigs here and there, once a month, once every three or four months, everybody was working or going to college. So uh, it, it, that was a really slow, gradual uh, ascent into uh, popularity. Now, what were, were you, did you have doing this? Did you have other jobs like when you were playing in the bands, or were you always just making the money off the band? Or what? I mean, what were you doing for a living? Was it just the music? Yeah, well, I, I'm, I lived at home until I was 25. I milked it as long as I could. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, but you know, by the time I hit 25, I was making at least enough money to you know move in with my girlfriend, and we had an apartment. But. Uh, uh, really around 85, 86, after the Wonderful album, when uh, more than the the, uh, the metal scene was getting okay with going to punk shows is when, you know, we we started making almost enough money to make a living. So when did, when did Bad Religion start growing a lot? When did you start seeing a swing where you went, I'm in for the long haul, because this is going to be a ride? Because like anything, as you said... Back then, this music it went from punk, right. it went to metal, and then metal became grunge and everything. But I mean, what point did you sit there and say, "Okay, this is this is a uh, this is pretty good shit, man. We're we're, we're gonna be we're gonna be hanging out for a while." Never. We always would joke about, "Oh, at least we got another year. We can make another record, and maybe do it another year." That was kind of always always the uh, the, the joke, but it was really kind of kind of true. I really didn't. Maybe not till nineteen ninety one. We went over to Germany, and for some reason, everybody loved Bad Religion. It was crazy. So, uh, what's that like, though? I mean, when you go, it's like you go to this other country, and you know, and people are just going crazy for you. It must be, it must be something you're like, 
you know, wait, wait, why isn't this happening everywhere? Because this yeah. is a country, and you know, they love us. And because I've always heard, you know, from any musicians, the, the 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 foreign crowds really, really love. Like I heard South America, that people are nuts. I mean, they're, they're, they're nuts. Their music, they know every <clears throat> lyric, they know everything. I mean, yeah. And it's just crazy. When you went to Germany, what was that like? This to get this adoration. I mean, it must have been a great feeling. Yeah, but it was it was weird because I guess right as everything was dead in America, in Europe it was picking up, especially Germany. For some reason, that that around that time, you know, the punk the punk scene was was just growing huge. So we were right place, right time. The people liked the music. It spoke to them. I don't know. Who knows? How long? How long would you go over for Germany for? How long would it would it be a, a week or two, or would you do long longer well, stays? The, the, the first time I we went over there, I think we did uh, seventeen shows in twenty one days, so it was it was pretty grueling. But we came back. It's like we made money and people loved us, and we were selling out. They were cramming a thousand people into places that hold five hundred. You know, it was insane. It was crazy. So now, how, now after Germany, you come back, and now how is how is it on the state sides? Is it starting to build more? Building a little bit, but you know, in pockets like in Southern California, we always did well. But maybe in the West Coast, yeah, but not, not nationally didn't really really start growing until like '93. Like with the Recipe for Hate album is when I think nationally we started selling decent amounts of record, good crowds, and then the the major labels started coming after us what do you think it was that i mean in 93 that made you guys i mean what was there a different scene was i mean what was what happened was it just something that people it wanted was, something different? it was that one little band that destroyed uh, hair metal single-handedly nirvana and that that trickled down to you guys nirvana and 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 uh uh metallica because they went out they started playing recording punk covers and stuff and it's like all of a next thing you know, all of a sudden people are buying Misfits records and wearing Misfits shirts and listening to you know all the old punk rock because of bands like Metallica and Nirvana. And so then you guys got on, you, the people started paying attention to you guys. Yeah, and so, well that that and then there was that for some reason it was it was ripe for for uh, you know it, it, there, there was enough time between the uh, the early quote unquote good old days when it was fun and safe to. The, the death of it, and then the resurgent, it was safe again, cause, and then bring, band, band groups like Green Day and Offspring hit right around the same time. Now, when do you think, was with Bad Religion, when, when did you guys start making, hitting your big peak? I mean, you know, to sit there and, you know, when you sat there and went, okay, you know, when you started, you knew when you went to a gig, it was, it was going to be kick-ass. I mean, at what point was that? It was probably, uh, it was probably, the Against the Grain record, when that came out, I don't remember what year that was. That's, that's kind of like, we would go anywhere in Europe and be drawing over a thousand people. So we knew Europe was good, and the U.S. and Canada was okay, certain areas, but we were able to tour and not lose money at that point, sell a little bit of merchandise. So that was kind of like the, the breaking point, 91. And, but still, everybody had, nobody quit their jobs until probably 95, you know, for the most part. So everyone was working. They're going like so. You know, you have to have a job yeah. where you could you had flexibility. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm going. I'm going to Germany for two yeah, weeks. Yeah, or you know, Greg was working on his masters at the time, probably, and then you know, Brett so, was going to the record label. So everybody had their own their own thing going. So what happened in '95 when you guys could all when they could quit their jobs? Uh, I guess that's the year that Strange Than Fiction came out. I think it was '95 or was it '94? I don't know what year it is. But uh, that just seems like it was, you know, uh, we got signed to the major label and got some airplay and then just really ridiculously blew up in Europe where you know, we had Green Day opening up for us. Okay. They're right. Their Dookie came out in America and they're mega platinum overnight. In Europe, they quite hadn't hit yet. They had agreed to open up for us in Europe and we benefited from that because we went from like, you know, 2,500-seat venues to five 7,000-seat venues in Europe. And so uh, that, was, that was kind of when it really, it really got stupid no, no, no. <laughs> in a good way. Now, I mean, now what's it like as a musician it's when like, you... Okay, you had a tour bus and we... So you, to, you got, you, I mean... Got tour bus and all that stuff. What's it like as a musician <laughs> when you sit there and you go from, 
you're used to playing a venue and you're gradually getting bigger. Are you prepared for that? Or is it something like you sit there and you go, holy crap, we're just playing in front of a thousand people. Now there's 7,000 people. It's still a lot of big difference of people. Right. The, the first time that, that was like, oh, fuck, I think we're in too deep. We, whatever we got ourselves into was playing a festival in Germany in 1991. And uh, that's like, fuck, this is, this is scary shit. You know, but uh, it was so gradual, though. It did. It was. It just. It was a natural progression, kind of. It wasn't like there was no overnight success. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. But so we were able to keep grounded and able to to not freak out with the. You know, you know. One year you're playing to two hundred, then it was maybe four hundred, and then eight years later you're playing in front of twenty five hundred people. But it was such a a, a a slow, steady growth. It was wasn't that that hard. Now, what was it, it was like? exciting, but it wasn't wasn't as scary. Well, it must be. But now, what was it like when you signed with a big label? Is it is it like what people say? You know, it's like I know people have said, "Oh, we signed this contract," and we look back and uh, I should have never signed this contract. But they're like, "Oh, I just signed this contract," and you've been working hard. I mean, what is it like when you sit there and you know you guys been playing, and all of a sudden everyone always says, "A musician, that's the mm -hmm. big thing." The the big label comes right. What is that like? Is is it a grueling thing? Is it does it is it like they sit there and you have meetings or how's it all take place? Well, we kind of went into it saying, well, as long as we have complete artistic control over every aspect, do what you want. You can you know that was we were able to kind of dictate our own terms because we had success and we didn't have to change because Epitaph was starting to blow up and you know maybe a couple months. Before our record came out, the offspring blew up. So I mean, we didn't have to didn't have to do it. So we had we got to dictate our own terms, which was nice. We were fortunate. And the only thing that that they did that we didn't really want to do on the first record is do a, a re-record Digital Boy, 21st Century Digital Boy. They okay. really wanted it on the record. It's like okay, we'll throw them a bone. It's not that big of a compromise, right? You know. So now I'm looking at this post. You have some great artwork. Now, now Pearl Jam. Now, did you go on tour with them, or was that? I, I mean, how? What? What's this poster from? Because people, he has this cool Pearl Jam poster with Bear Religion. Yeah, 1995. Yeah. And so well, that was a big, a big tour, or what would happen with that? And how, yeah, that, how that was that, that was. Uh, well, Eddie Vedder, I guess, was a huge fan of ours, and we found out about that. You know, and uh, he said he used to come to all of our shows when we played down in. He grew up in San Diego area in Tijuana. There was a club down there, and he would go there all the time. And and he goes, I even snuck in once. I don't know if you remember me. We're like, Yeah, uh huh. Sure, we remember you. Not. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, he was hanging out backstage, recording. He just loved, he was a fan. So they they invited us to go on this tour in '95, and open up like you know we're playing Soldier Field and you know stadiums and shit. Now, what's that like? I mean, that's like, you know, because you said, you know, when you go, okay, you guys have been going gradual yeah. from, you know, 500, 100. So it's been a slow, you know, as you said, it's, it wasn't overnight, so you right. guys were prepared. But there's a difference when you go from 7,000 to soldier you know, 80, field. 80,000 people, you know, yeah. like the vet, probably, you probably played the vet in Philly or wherever you played. What is that like as a musician to sit there? What's, what's the feeling when you go on stage and there's, I mean, is the, does the energy almost bowl you over? It was... That kind of stuff was a little easier because we were a support band, so we didn't have to play long. It was really kind of low effort, high reward. I mean, we put the effort into playing, but it wasn't it wasn't that difficult because the focus was on Pearl Jam. They were like ridiculously huge at the time, and we were just we were like lucky to be, you know, they invited us along, but uh, we didn't want to. We we didn't know what our, we we figured at at worst people would be indifferent. Okay, but we, you know, so <laughs> like, yeah. it wasn't that bad, you know. So now, now after after you do that big tour, then where where do you go from there? Because you're used to those, and and, and it's an easy game. I mean, as you said, it's you played hard, but right. you're right. It's like it's like I always uh, say it's like when an act opens, like a comedian opens for share or whatever. Right. Now the even if the comedian sucks, the people don't care because. They're there to see Cher. Right. For you guys, you go out, you, you had to be gaining some fans from that tour. The people had to be digging your music. Yeah, so you that, probably yeah, brought you. You know, by that time, we were getting a little bit of airplay on the alternative rock stations. And like Green Day was, was pumping and Offspring and Nirvana and bands like that. So, uh, so what was the question? Again? No, when the tour, after the tour happened, <laughs> what happened? Tour? Because you guys, all of a sudden, you're sitting there and you're used to playing the big venues. It's like you're sitting there going, okay, we're going to go back and we're going to have our own doing, tour. We have, it's, it's much more fun in our own comfort zone doing 
you know, clubs or, you know, medium-sized halls, kind of more more what we liked anyway. But it was good experience, and it was fun, and we definitely helped us. Now, what are some of the cities that you've loved playing in, and is there any cities that you just have hated? And this could be worldwide. Yeah. Not really I'm trying to think hate. Just that the people were just yeah. sort of like dicks. You know, and that's like anything. There's certainly, like if you play, if you do comedy in Atlantic City, right. people are just jackasses. Right. You know, it's just, just, it's just a mentality. I'm trying to think of anything that was really awful anywhere. Uh, I don't know. It's just, uh, not really. I can't think of any place that was like, oh shit, we got to go there again. Except maybe Dallas. <laughs> I don't like Dallas either. Well, I'm not a Cowboys fan. I'm a big football yeah. fan. So I don't like the Cowboys. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> sorry, Dallas. It's all right. They, you know, they they they, they but deserve. We it. had good times there too. So I don't know. There, there really isn't. I can't think of any place was like fuck. We don't want to go back there. There's so, certain venues that we hated playing that we got stuck playing all the time. Like what? What are some of them? I mean, there's like, like a venue that. And why would you hate a venue? Uh, either stage is cramped or the sound was terrible or. It was just a bad vibe, you know. There was, there was, there was some of those. So now, now, as you're going along, you know, you started to do some side <clears throat> projects, too, when you were with uh, Bad Religion. I did? Well, I'm Tell me more at, about me than I know. No, well, you know, you said, you know, you uh, yeah, black I've, president and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I've done a lot of stuff with other people, yeah. I just like to play music, and I, if I'm sitting at home not doing anything, I, I kind of freak out inside my own head, so I want to always be doing something. Now, I saw you posted something on Facebook. About you saw about the Ramones album. Uh, were you did you see it at Amoeba or where, where did you see that album? Uh, I was at Rhino Records when it was in Westwood, and I was living in that in Westwood at the time with my dad, and I walked into uh, to go buy records like I usually do because I lived down the street from there, and uh, there was Johnny and Joey Ramone in there. It was right when uh, Road to Ruin came out. I'm like, well, fuck, I was going to buy this anyway. So I bought the record and had him sign it. So now who are some of your other influences? <laughs> I mean, you know, the Ramones, of course, you love them. What were some of the bands? Like, like if you were going to hang out on a Friday night and listen to some music, yeah. what, do you, what, do you, what are you going to play? Like, I mean, if you can sit there and say, okay, I'm going to listen to three albums. Then I'm not saying, you know, just three albums. Well, like, what kind of music do you relax to? Pretty much all kinds of stuff. You know, it could be... You know, some stuff that I grew up listening, top 40 cheesy pop music from the 60s, or or I'll listen to Queen, or I'll put UFO on, or Stiff Little Fingers. I don't know. I just kind of, the whole... See, I, I go in moods. It's like, I'll yeah. sit there, I'll be in a mood sometimes, I'm like, oh, I want to hear this. And then you sit there. Yeah. Like, right now, I just, I don't know why, when I hear Queen, except for Fat Bottom Girls, right. I turn the station. I don't know why, because I, I love Queen, but it's one of those things where I'm like, I'm pointing to the pictures I have of uh, Brian May. I know, I see it. I don't know where Freddie is. Did I put uh, Freddie no, up I just, yet? It's uh, weird how we do that. We go into, <coughs> we go into cycles where I'm yeah. like, but then Fat Bottom Girls, I don't know why that song just sticks with me. It reminds me of college because I went to a yeah. college called Stockton and we said Fat Bottom Girls made the Stockton world go around uh -huh. instead of rock and world go around because we were so imaginative. So now, now, as you were touring, did, did you really dig the road or did you start getting tired? I mean, you know, were you guys doing grueling tours with Bear Religion? I mean, how long, how long is the longest you went on the road? Probably four months. So what's that like? I mean, is it just, does it get exhausting? or The you, older you get, the harder it is. So it kind of, we stopped touring at that long. After a while, you just couldn't, couldn't do it that long. Mentally and physically, you, you just can't deal with it anymore. Well, we couldn't. I know I couldn't. So, you know, back in the Circle Jerks day, you know, we went out in a van in a U-Haul. This is a panel van with no windows, no air conditioning, and uh, and no no seats, nothing. Two seats, just some carpeting on the floor. And we'd go out for three months, come home for a month, and go out for another four. You know, it was, you know, that 1983, it was easy to do that. 19, 2003, 1997, got a little harder, you know. Well, but the, the also the, the how you travel. But our conditions change. got better, right? But your body just doesn't bounce back like it used to. It's crazy, you know. You sit there, I mean, because you, you know, when people don't understand when you guys. I mean, how long would your show be when you when you when you go play a concert? Hour and a half. And so, and you're giving it all for that hour and a half. People right. don't understand that. They go, oh, you know, they have an easy job. It's like, no, you guys are working your asses off. 
Yeah, but it's only an hour and a half. I yeah, mean, it's, it's easier than some guy working construction oh, on the yeah, freeway totally. at night. I mean, come but, on. You know, but it's That's still, hard but, work. Oh, yeah, but you guys are still working hard for the fact yeah. that and everyone says... Yeah, in it's perspective, not, it's hard work. And, and it's not the... it's. It's not the part on stage. That's why they call it show business. It's not the part on the stage that's grueling. So it's downtime the and the travel, yeah. Now, what would you do when you're downtime? What were some of the hobbies you had? Because you know you got to, you know, when you're in a tour bus. I mean, what goes on in a tour bus? And you guys, I mean, everyone says, oh, the tour bus. But what I've gotten is, as people get older, a lot of people sleep on the tour bus. They eat on the tour bus. What would you do? What would you do in the tour bus? Were you a reader, or what would you? What would you do? Yeah, I did a lot of reading, listen to music, and read. Uh, you know, once satellite dishes came into tour buses, watched a lot of sports and TV. We do movies every night. You know, someone pick a movie, and we, you know, we have like every. I think most bands have this, where they have like at least ten or twelve movies that are always on rotation. You got to have on every tour bus on every tour. You know, what were what were some of your movies? I and mean, what were some of your personal movies <clears throat> uh, that you would say I, I want this movie? Oh, uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Great movie. Uh, uh, Oh, what's that one? The, uh, what's that bowling movie? Kingpin? Kingpin, stuff like that. That's, that's, they're, they're, yeah. that's a funny movie. You know, funny funny, funny stuff and some heavier stuff, you know. Of course, The Godfather would always be on there. And, uh, you know, we had Caddyshacks and that kind of stuff. Now, I want to talk about The Kings because you are... The band or the... Uh, the, 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 the king, <laughs> okay. yeah. No, no, you said you started liking The Kings when you were 10. Yeah. And now it's funny because, you know, I know when I lived out here a few years back i would go to this bar in burbank i live in burbank and i would say hey you know can you put a hockey game on and the bar would go she'd go this is this is la cooper you know we don't we don't watch hockey and then of course the kings win the stanley cup and they're all coming to work with their king shirts on right la loves a champion oh yeah everyone (laughs) now what what uh what 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 got you attracted to hockey were you a baseball fan too or was it just something that gravitated you towards hockey i liked baseball and you know uh but uh, I guess was uh, uh, I went to go public skating one day, and my mom took me to the rink, and there was no public skating because they were the kids were playing hockey. They're having hockey practice, and they said, "Hey, do you want to try this out? Here's some equipment. We can get on the ice at least." So I gave that a shot, and I thought it was really cool. You know, <laughs> you know, sticks, ice, fast puck. It was weird. It was different. Nobody was into it. So. It kind of suited my personality being something different. So uh, I tried it out and, and was going to play hockey. And then uh, I sat out the first, cup, first couple games to watch. And then I saw some kid get hit in the face with a puck, blood everywhere. And I said, okay, not for me. <laughs> but, but I was hooked on hockey ever since. Now, do do the Kings have you gotten to know any Kings? Like, have you do you know if has King have the Kings any of the players been fans of your music, or do they know that you're a big fan? Yeah, the only one that I was ever friends with was that was a big fan was Felix Potvin when he was playing goalie okay. for the Kings. Yeah, and he was he was a fan. Of your music. Yeah, yeah, he loved the punk rock. I met him when he was playing with Toronto. He came to one of our shows, a Bad Religion show in Toronto. So you met him. So you, and then he come after and say I, I play hockey, and then and somebody said, oh, you know, there's some dude from the Maple Leafs here. I'm like, what? <laughs> and then one, one time on Warp Tour, Jose Theodore, another goalie in Quebecois, for some reason the, they love their punk rock in Quebec. That's good. So though. anyway, so uh, and then he came up and sang Wild in the Streets, and he was like a rookie. And as he just ended his rookie season, he was a backup. Oh, that that guy is a goalie for the Canadians. We're like, what? <laughs> now, do people come up with stage a lot of them? Why'd you let them? I mean, as a band, because you know you always hear like. But you know, punk bands, people jump up on stage. Yeah. Has there any time you've been like, what the fuck is going on here? There's too many people coming up? Or is it always, do you always feel like it's contained because you know what's going on? Well, it's contained now because of barricades, security, right. and, and uh, you know, lawsuits and insurance. But back, back in my day, Sonny, I mean, you got to be on your toes because you never knew when you're going to get, a, you know, a straight elbow to the to the nose and get a bloody nose or get knocked over or pulled into the crowd or... You know, that must have been knocked over. It, it got ridiculous after a while. Where okay, there's a pit on the stage, and I'm standing behind my amp for the whole thing, and they can't clear off the stage. And it's like, this is kind of a bummer. It's uh, all I can do is stand there and, and really, really sit down and play. And it's just, I don't want to be like, I don't want, I want to go out there and jump around and have fun instead of having to hide behind my equipment. Now, now, do you now, do you and the circle jerks still start play gigs? We haven't played in about five or six years, or maybe longer. 
And it's just, is there, is there any reason or it's just you guys have different schedules or you, you there was some scheduling, there was some, uh, you know, personality conflicts, but we're working it, working it out. So, I mean, well, you, they're, they're, you're, they're who you start out with. You probably want to get back and play again. Yeah. It'd be fun to do it again. Yeah. Now with Bad Religion, you, you just, you left, you decided you were done. Oh, they kicked me out of the band. No. Why is that? Well, I had, a, uh, what happened it, the short story is, uh, had a problem with some pills. I got addicted to some prescription medicines and stuff. So the band came to me and go, you got to get your, can you get yourself straight? Get yourself together. When you're, you know, go do the rehab thing, get, get some time behind, you can come back. Well, they kicked me out anyway. Okay. So that, that's a short story. That sucks. But now, now, now you do. I'm still sober. Yeah, well, that's good. That's a good thing. Three years later. What, what was it? The band kicking you out that was your defining point to go to rehab, or did you just say, no, no, at that point I was quote unquote suspended. Okay. But then a couple members said, well, we don't want him back. And there was big debate, I guess, between the other guys. And uh, to make a long story short, eventually I was told that I wouldn't be coming back. But then you went to rehab to get yourself. No, so, I, this I was this this was six months after I've already been. Okay, I've had six nine months sobriety, thinking that I was going to end up back in the band. Now you started a podcast. What made you decide to do a podcast? And my friend said, "Hey, a friend of mine's got the station on, on this radio network. It could be cool. Check it out." And then I started looking at it. It's like, oh, this is like kind of a real network. This will be fun. I've always kind of wanted to do a radio show, so kind of just. Winging it? Yeah, just winging it. So what now, what, what's your show called? It's called Hetson's House. Okay, now, now how, what, is your, what do you do on your show? Uh, right now, I just do interviews and, and play music, but eventually, now that I got my studio back up and running, I want to do, like, bands come over, play a few songs, and I interview them here, just hang out in my house, relax, play some music in the living room, record them, and then uh, do that. Now, how would you? How do you find the bands? Is it bands that do people people solicit to you, or is it people that you sit there and go, you know what? I want these guys to come over because I like their music. I mean, I know. Do you act a combination? Well? Okay. Yeah, I've had I had some people like managers that I know. Hey, the, you know, can you can you do me a bro deal? I got this guy coming in over from Israel, or I had some friends from Brazil. I wanted to give them some exposure. I had them come over to do some interviews with them. So now. People who love <clears throat> punk, do you get? Are you? Do they recognize you a lot? And and what's it like for you? Because you have the glasses. You're a bald guy like mm-hmm. me. We got the good look. We. I mean, face we're it, looking we're, good. We're, we're, we're the look of fucking of, great. We're look of we're the look of the 2000, uh-huh. 2015. Yeah. Do you get recognized a lot? And what's that like when you get recognized? Is it sometimes a little bit odd, or is it sometimes? Or do you ever get good hookups? Like you ever get a flight bumped up or anything? Uh, there, there's some perks every once in a while like that, or you get, you know, you know. A free dessert. <laughs> right. <laughs> On your birthday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, every once in a while, it, it, it's, it's kind of cool to, be, to have that, those perks. But most people are really cool. You know, like, hey, you're a big fan, blah, blah, blah. Can I get my picture taken with you? When It's just, it's just part of the... I'll, I'll tell you a story on, on my, my, uh, uh, how I like to deal with fans. When I, when I was a kid, me and my friend went to go to... Uh, an in-store for 999, English, or the English punk band. So we went to Tower Records, and we had these bootleg 999 buttons, and the guys said, oh my God, that's so cool. Where'd you get those buttons? We'd never seen anything those ones before. It's like, oh, there's a, cl- there's a store down the street. We got them. They go, if you bring some of those to us, we'll put you on the guest list. So we went down to that store and bought them a handful of pans. They had put us on the guest list and let us hang out with them. And so that, that to me was like, Okay, this is, you know, you could, that would never happen with Kiss. Go, go to a Kiss in-store, and next thing you know, hey, come to the show later. We'll put you on the list and hang out with us. Be our buddy. You know, so that, that's kind of how my, my philosophy is. Really, you know, it's not much of a division between the, the band and the crowd. That's kind of what got me interested in the whole thing. See, that's good. I think that's also, that's something that punk has been, you know. I, you know, I, can't, say, I can't say that aren't, there aren't people that are just punishers that just... It's like, dude, okay, don't talk to me so close. Your breath stinks, but uh, you know, well, yeah, you're really I mean, drunk, and you slap me on the back. That's yeah. the one thing that would get to me. It's I, like, I don't I like, mean, I don't like the uh, you know, someone to give you a bear hug or a slap on the back. It's like, do like not you, do that. Yeah, if you're at a bar, anything but that. Yeah, if you're at a bar and all of a sudden, 
if something one of your songs came on a jukebox and someone played it and then the guy saw you that's when that probably happened too and you're just like hey hey man you know i'm just i'm just hanging out just just chill you know it makes them happy whatever I, i'm okay with it now now what's the new band you're in punk rock karaoke uh yeah that well that's that's, that's not a band but what, what tell us what it is because that's a really punk cool rock idea karaoke is we're a bunch of guys in other bands and we play we have a song that's maybe 70 songs we could play and you sign your name up to sing and we call your name and you come up and be the singer so you could be the singer for the clash ramones black flag etc blondie or whatever and uh well your your backup band got stan lee from the dickies playing and eric melvin from no effects plays sometimes steve soto from adolescence darren pfeiffer from goldfinger and myself and we go uh and we play the songs and you get to be the star now, how is that? How are people digging that? Because it sounds, I mean, you think like anything, you know, because karaoke is so over, uh, overplayed. Like, I always laugh. Like, we're a live band. We, right, that's we, what I'm saying. We've done a little twist to this. That's what's cool. I'm saying, yeah, because like yeah, karaoke, yeah. you know, I mean, I remember when I first moved here, I lived in Hollywood, and, <clears> I, and there was a uh, Acapulco on the corner of, of Sunset and uh, La Brea. I know that one. And you would go into karaoke, and these people were just too damn serious. Right. I mean, it was like you're like, okay, guys, you know, you know, like because some people just go to karaoke to have fun. Then you well, some people thinking, want that. This is this is their shining moment. Well, there was there was a place yeah. in Burbank called Dimples that right. was just awful. The owner was awful. But now for this though, it's a great idea because you guys can sit there and go, and people must enjoy it, and they get to meet the musicians. They get to be on stage with us, which was cool, and we get to play the songs that we grew up loving, so I get to be in the Clash for three minutes a night, and I get to be in this band, and it's, it's a lot of fun. I think everybody wins, especially especially the crowd, like the singers, and, and people are cheering them on no matter how good or bad they are. That's It's, it's really kind of the spirit of punk rock. Really. And and what's cool is, yeah, it's also now, <clears> you guys, did you guys have to rehearse together, or it's just you all know this music, and you go, okay, we can just no, take we, it No, we jam. put in many... It's you know we've been doing it since 1996, but I don't think we really had it down till a couple of years ago. Where we okay, we got strong. We know the songs really well now. Finally, now, now was it took your, 20 years. Was it your idea? No, a friend of mine came to me and had the idea for uh, to do it at a restaurant that he was throwing a, a party at for his I don't know what a two year anniversary of his restaurant being open because I want to do. A live band, karaoke, you think in punk rock, you think you could put that together? I'm like, that's a great idea. So I started calling my friends and that's kinda how it got started. And now I know you played at Ventura. What what size what size place was it Ventura when you played? It was it was a bar. Okay. Yeah. And we, we play like, you know Yeah, clubs and bars. That's and we cool. we played we played at festivals where not sometimes that works out. You've gone up and play festivals now, and people get up, and that must be crazy for them, the people to come up in front of a big crowd. Yeah. You've got to be like, okay, go. It's okay. You can sing. Right. That, that's usually where it's kind of a different procedure. Usually the, the, the promoter will do something with the radio station, and they get to win to sing with us. Here, it's kind of like karaoke. First comes surf, first serve. You put your name on the list. We call you up. We give you the lyrics, and uh, you come up and sing. We don't have a fancy machine or any videos? We guys play. You don't need it because it's you guys. Who's going to play? Now, now, how much do, are you, do you have the clock going? Fifty-three minutes. Okay, well, so we have seven minutes left because you know that's what it is. So, what do you want to talk about for seven minutes? You know, what, what 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 interests you? You know, I always like to let my guests say, you know, what 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 do you see in your future? I mean, are you 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 want to start making more music? Do you want to yeah, start I've, a I've, new band? You know, what do you want to do? Yeah, I got I have a project, quote unquote. It's because you got to say that in L.A. I have a project <laughs> I'm working on with uh, my friend Loomis Fall. It was Jimmer for Wax, and it's on the Jackass TV show, one of those characters. And we have a record done. We're just trying to figure out what to call ourselves and figure out how to get it out. So I'm working on some new stuff. It's, it's, uh, and I want to do some uh, instrumental music I've been working on. Now, when kind you, when you New do Orleans this, funk style. See, so, you, so you're basically, I mean, you've done the <clears> punk for <throat> a long time. You, you want to branch into different, I mean, as you get older, is it something where you go, you know, if you want to do a punk album, it's going to kick ass. I mean, it, it, that's in your blood. Right. But as you get older, is it something that you sit there and go, I want to be challenged? I want to, I want to expand because it's like anything. I think anyone yeah, gets you need, get tired. You, yeah. I mean, I mean, I loved my 29 years in Bad Religion, but it, it did get tiring. I, I don't know if anybody else would agree with me that's still in the band. It's tough doing the same album every year. You, you're, you're confined. You can't really 
go, you could push the envelope a little bit, but you can't really expand much from that, which is kind of a bummer. Because then you, want, you don't want to bum out your fans, but you want to make yourself happy. It, 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 to me, it got less challenging. So the album. Not that we didn't, we put the effort in it, but it's, it gets harder and it's, it's just, it's rough. Well, I think it's like anything, you know, you know and that was your main job for 29 years. Yeah. I think, you know, if someone's an accountant for 20, I mean, it's just, it's a different, people don't understand. Being a musician is a job where you sit there and if you're there for 29 years, anywhere you're <clears> for 29 <throat> years, you're going to start getting somewhat bored, I would say, or complacent because you're like, okay, yeah, difference is you were going to big venues and your, your career grew, but like, that's like anyone. You start off right. at the bottom, you move up. So after a while, it just must get a little bit, you know, tiresome. Not uh, yes and no. Not I mean, tiresome, it's tiresome, but, but it gets it's frustrating. So that's why I would go and do other musical endeavors. And now I'm just trying to go. Just I wouldn't say completely left field. Maybe well, yeah, I've done a little bit of that too. But uh, just kind of stream of consciousness stuff. It's like, well, if I want to have a song that's seven minutes long, why not do it? Right, minute and a half, sure. Throw it all on the same record. I don't care. Now, now the album you did with your Lip friend Lip Loomis, yeah. Now, now, what kind of music is that? Uh, you know, there's a minute and a half songs and there's six minute songs. It's 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 heavy. It's got dark, sarcastic, social commentary lyrics like punk rock, but there's some drum loops and there's some elements of electronics. But it's not electronic, and I wouldn't say it's, I don't know, it's punk-esque, but not. Did, now, did you lay it down in here? Did you do the mixing here? Or is this, is this where you Yeah, yeah, we recorded, recorded it here. I mixed it at a, at a proper studio, you know, at a, at a nice professional studio. But, uh, yeah, we did it. We did all the recording here. How many, how many guitars do you have? I don't know. I mean, a, a ton of them. I mean, I see three here, but I'm sure they're... They're all. I mean, is there a bunch of them? If I if if I told you, I'd have to kill you. Okay. <laughs> I don't. know, I think twenty, twenty one, maybe. Now, do you have a favorite? I mean, is there, is there one you sit there and go, "Oh, this is this is my favorite"? And how did that one become your favorite? Well, my favorite guitar type is a Gibson SG, and what happened with early years of the Circuit Jerks I had a guitar that wouldn't stay in tune. The the band said, "Get a guitar, get a guitar that stays in tune, or get out of the band." So a friend of mine who happened to be was uh, Jeffrey Lee Pierce from the Gun Club was selling an SG. It stayed in tune. I thought it looked cool. Had a bitch and tail piece, so that's kind of my main thing. And you still have it? I don't have that one. That one broke. Okay, so that I must have sucked. Your, your, this, your first guitar broke. That must be like one of those things. That's be like, because you, you have the my flyer. My first guitar that stayed in tune broke. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I've, I've, I replaced it with another one just like it. And that one broke. So you know, I've gone through a few, but I've had the same couple for... You know, twenty plus years. And how about the picks? Do you go through a lot of picks. Like, like with band, how many? Like when you play a concert, how many picks will you go through a night? Yeah, I, I'm weird. If I don't have the, this right feel with the pick, luckily I get them for free now. But I didn't quite do this much when we first started. I, I go through like twenty. Damn. They don't. They don't wear out. I just if it's a weird feel. If it's not that perfect feel, it's like I need another one. It's a neurotic thing. I want to thank you for letting me come up here and record this. No problem. I, uh, you know, I it was it a weird, it was a weird, a weird scenario going, and then Lucky yeah, hit you up, and it, it all good. worked out. And it was good because this is a cool place, and your dog's great. The both dogs. You. One, the right. one, the one looked at me a little bit, but but Smushy, is that his name? Squishy. He, Squishy. Squishy yeah. was cool. So anyway, yeah, well, so Kobe's like seventeen. She's okay, and deaf, and you know, so she's now, the wonder dog. You're on Twitter. I'm on Twitter. Greg Hetson, Facebook, Hetson's house. Uh, Instagram, Greg Hetson and uh, Punk Rock Karaoke. Come check that out, and you'll be hearing more about the other stuff. The radio show, Hetson's House on Dash Radio Network, host Anarchy Channel. Check it out, people. Uh, also, uh, follow uh, him Saturdays, on Twitter. Sa- um, Saturdays, 2 a.m. Pacific, and Thursdays, 7 p.m. Pacific. Okay, well, guys, you got to listen, okay? <laughs> and uh, follow me on Twitter. It's at Cooper Talk. That's at Cooper Talk. Also, uh, go to my website, it. coopertalk.net. I just, actually, when I get home, I'm going to put episode 501 up. So it's a lot of episodes I have. So if you go to, or you can email me also at cooper at coopertalk.net. I'll get back to you. Now that I'm going to be Skyping out of my house, I can get a lot more guests. I have some Philly musicians, some New York actors getting on because it makes it a lot easier. Can you get Hall and Oates? I would love to get Hall and Oates, mm-hmm. but I, they'd be hard. I'd like to go to have Hall and Oates in my house. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, so people keep doing that. Uh, 
uh, Instagram is Cooper Talk One, and this is no lie. Words with friends. I love that game. This now. was They're great. Good. I had a great time. Uh, Cooper Talk One. Do that. So please keep listening to me. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I will talk to you guys next week. Have a wonderful and safe weekend. Great. Cool. It's an hour. I, I'm, I just. I. I. Do we totally turn this off? I don't know.